housing sentiment is at a decades low right now. People aren't wanting to buy houses. And not only that, interest rates are going up. So this is a crazy time in the housing market. So we got to figure out what's going on. Um, that's exactly what we do at The Gray Report. I appreciate you taking the time, spending it with us. Um, on The Gray Report, every single week, we're breaking down all the latest research reports, data, articles, everything related to the multifamily industry, commercial real estate, kind of real estate, and then that those macroeconomic events and factors that are so important today. So if you're a multifamily investor, whether you're active or passive, this is the YouTube and podcast show for you. Make sure you subscribe so you can get every single one of these videos. Like the video. Matt Bosnagel, Director of Communications and Marketing from Great Capital, is here with us to kind of break all of this down. Let's get into it. All right, everybody, welcome back to The Gray Report. Matt, again, another great week of a lot of interesting information tracking the multifamily market, real estate, everything that's going on right now. It's it's pretty insane. Um, first off, how's your week going so it's far? Been, We're been in the summer. productive, actually, productive, yeah. For, for a summer, yeah. I'm not, I'm not, lazy. I'm not being lazy. I'm no. not laying out. No, not yet. <laughs> not, not yet, a little bit. <laughs> it's a nice day today, so um, yeah. you'd be amiss not to at least uh, consider it. Yeah. But it's you all were, good. you've been gone for this week. Um, yeah. You've been at a family office conf- conference. Yep. I was, uh, was kind of wondering how that went and what they're talking about. Yeah, you know, so every uh, couple times a year, I attend a, a few meetings that's really kind of centered on family offices. So there's family offices from around um, the world that attend, as well as a lot of just like wealth management firms. Um, in, any institutions? RIAs. Yeah, they have some big, yeah, some relatively decent sized institutions, okay. um, some pension funds, um, some insurance companies, but mostly family offices and RIAs, you know, okay. registered investment advisors. Um, and so, you know, a lot of it, I love going to conferences where everyone else is doing really big things. Yeah. And, you know, the really smart people, they're managing a lot of money, you know, smarter than smarter than me. They're seeing more deals. You know, it's just uh, getting so much information. And again, it's like kind of where is the smart money thinking about yeah. making plays? Um, so it was really fascinating. And, and honestly, a lot of what we are covering on the reports mm-hmm. today is also on the top of mind of family offices. No surprise, though. I mean, there's a huge interest in real assets, um, real estate, okay. and commodities. With multifamily being probably the most popular, um, you know, at real estate asset class of interest. Um, and if everyone you know, is relatively, you know, still bullish on the sector, but you know, there's just so much uncertainty. Yeah. So obviously. Um, the conversation, the topics weren't too different from what you may kind of hear on kind of the mainstream talking about inflation, talking about interest rates, mm-hmm. um, you know, potential recession. Most people aren't thinking that there's going to be a recession you hmm. know, immediately. Um, it's possible, but most people are you know kind of downplaying that fact. Yeah. Um, but really, real estate and commodities, real estate and commodities and what you do in this kind of new environment that we're in. Uh, That's what I was wondering. And we talked about this uh, like about a month or two ago, even when we're talking about an impending recession and you were talking about people that may be, uh, that may be more nervous about investing in multifamily, but what's the alternative commodities? You know, at least if they've got these kind of ideas in mind, then that's one thing. But, but to me, it's like all this recession is a situation in which the investment for across the board could be, could be difficult. And yeah, and the problem with commodities, like a lot of people were talking about, is they can be great in like for like a short duration when there are these run ups, and you know, there's talk of this um, you know, commodity super cycle. Hmm. 
but looking at commodities over a 10-year hold period historically don't necessarily perform that great. Over like a short period when things are running up, you, you know, if you look at copper, you know, look at a lot of other Lum- lumber, lumber was up and now, it, now, now it's down. down. I remember like, oh, if it could only just get back to $600. <sighs> now it is. Oh. And, uh, yeah. and and I think well, it's below, like, yeah. Well, like 200 per whatever random length board to like, 1,200, yeah. and now it's, yeah. So it's still up, but it's not insane. Mm-hmm. But so. other ones, other commodities haven't gone gone down at all. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's crazy just to think like, you know, where that labor is and mm-hmm. where the, yeah, I, it, that takes a real yeah. PhD. <laughs> yeah, and so it's, but so for on the long term, they're like, okay, well, maybe commodities aren't the best. Maybe short term right now, but again, it's the real estate in real estate that, trades out leases at a relative high frequency. Okay. So not necessarily net leases, but multifamily and hospitality. Still a little bit of softness on the hospitality front. Oh, some people are kind of getting into it. Um, but yeah, a lot of interest in, in multifamily. Less interest interest in tech, a little bit less hmm. interest in like venture capital. There is much interest in kind of multifamily real estate as there ever has been. That. So was this was this conference that you went to? There were all kinds of investment assets. Yeah, all Not, kinds of stuff. A lot. I mean, there was a lot of real estate. Yeah. But um, yeah. I mean, kind of pick your asset class. Everything from blockchain, crypto to cannabis to and VC. the atmosphere was still people murmuring about real estate. Not not yeah. not necessarily talking about blockchain. Yeah, much less talk about blockchain okay. than at, at previous meetings. The last meeting I was at, there was it was a ton of blockchain discussion. Yeah, people are still interested in it, but have definitely softened to it. And I think are deciding, hey, let's get, kind of get back to the basics here and what we know yeah. is going to work, and less kind of appetite for risk. And we want something that's stable. We know it's going to work kind of over the long run. And yeah. uh, the fundamentals, I mean, the thing they just kept getting echoed and echoed is like the fundamentals for multifamily are really strong. Well, just what's real, it's just interest rates. And and one thing that I didn't talk about, uh, that I didn't put on this video, but I did put it in the newsletter was negative leverage. Yep. And, you know, negative leverage is increasing in, in CRE space. But as you said last week, you know, this investment into like crypto, you know, that kind of stuff, it's in that same genre as negative le- leverage in that you don't have yeah. a fundamentals that are kind of driving the income and you're just waiting for the end of your yeah, investment somebody, cycle. Yeah, waiting for someone else to pay more for it yeah. you know, at the end of the day. Yeah. And, you know, there's a 2021, people had so much extra money, they're like, We're, I've got to put it somewhere. And so sure, I'll, you know, I'll take a risk on some mm-hmm. more growth, um, you know, re- real risk assets like crypto or, um, you know, speculative tech. And there's just so much less appetite for that. And we're, and we're seeing that kind of those markets correct and all those um, asset classes that are I would say more like discretionary like yeah. you wouldn't normally invest in this but if you only you only would if you just had extra money you had to put somewhere yeah and so you know we're seeing it you know in you know random you know sectors as well like um, something that that I read recently is like like the luxury like watch market mm-hmm. like you know it was going crazy like other oh. things and like you know whatever you want to pay for a Rolex the prices were totally insane yeah but like there's been a total correction in like the luxury watch market because people don't have an extra like 10 or twenty thousand dollars like they were on paper there's a wealth effect everyone saw their Mm -hmm. their their stock market portfolio is way up now it's not well and and even in the multifamily arena like let's say you do get negative leverage if you have that patience and you have that faith and you really think that you're going to get the growth at the end then maybe it's maybe it's worth it. Yeah. But I think as inter- if you're kind of assessing the general sentiment of everyone, um, I don't think it, it it doesn't seem to be that smart yeah. to uh, to be yeah, jumping there, in. There's still the idea because rent growth is so high, which we're going to get into. There's mm-hmm. still kind of the sentiment that like 
cap rates um, don't matter. You're kind of going in cap rate means much less to what your returns are. Yeah. Will be based on your business plan, assuming that your business plan is somewhat conservative and in kind of in line with um, reality. And you're yeah. not speculating too much um, because we are, as we're going to see, really strong rank growth. Mm-hmm. Um, or we're already seeing it. Um, so let's just get right into that, Matt. For apartment sure. list. Um, apartment list vacancy index. Um, a new report. Um, we feature apartment lists quite frequently. Um, Matt, you know, before we kind of get into all the details, you want to talk about the methodology on yeah. apartment lists? Because I know that's so, something you um, to touch on. The, the methodology section, um, I appreciate kind of how forthright it is about its role. Um, yeah. Now, apartment list, it has a service that multifamily professionals can pay for that's aimed at reducing vacancy. Um, they're, they're selling something. A lot of the reports that we have, someone is selling something. Um, but but a little bit, uh, but a lot of times that they're not as direct, kind of, as, as they are here. Yeah, um, true. Some reports don't even have a methodology section, yeah. but they do cite their sources with some fine print at the bottom of the page. Some sources don't have a methodology section at all and don't really cite their sources for their numbers. When I read these reports, yeah, <laughs> when I read these reports, I think I'll trust these numbers. But thank goodness for them. I'm such a trusting person. Well, thank goodness for you, Matt. <laughs> um, not only going through these reports, but really kind of tracking the differences. Well, and that's what I was going to Yeah. And that's what I was going to say. Like I, if, with any report, uh, especially reports that have numbers that uh, that other people have, you know, when we're talking about vacancy, yep, there's there's yeah. other reports that have vacancies, but they're going to be a little bit different. And reading this report or any report along with your co- along with your own experience, you know, what are your what's your boots on the ground experience? Putting that laying that against other reports that measure apartment demand, that's that's what when, what makes it worthwhile. So so their methodology for this is from their own data. Is, is what it's, you're saying so, from from or, Exactly. Yeah. So the their their it's their own data and um and they I like that they say, you know, they have a little paragraph that basically talks about because apartment list is so effective at bringing um, bringing down the vacancy, they actually have to adjust their vacancy numbers. Oh, we do such a good okay. So exactly. I, I, I see that's what you're like, saying. Like, yeah. So, so, so if our you scroll data, down, there's the there's a the graph there. Our data has artificially low vacancy because our our product works so well at decreasing vacancy. And got like it, when it. they're so direct about that and so upfront, it's like okay, I will take that with a grain of salt. But dang, it's a it's a more valuable grain of salt. <laughs> At least they're doing that. The, it, I I think honestly, the, laying out their process and their role here. Uh, ups their credibility for me, um, and and so again, you're never going to read. You shouldn't read one report in a vacuum and take that as gospel. Um, but you know, one, if you have a fuller understanding of where they're coming from and where their and where their data is coming from, then that's going to help you place yeah. that on the right chart. Yeah, I, I agree. So so one thing, and, and maybe they they touch on this, Matt. That you can you can um, comment on, but. Here's my only issue, maybe with even with that. I think that's good. You know, they're kind of discounting, but they're also, I assume, measuring over the period that we've just seen natural um, vacancy declines. Yeah, that's and a good, so, very so, good ha- point. Ha- so you know, it's like you know, correlation, causation. Like, yeah, your vacancy is dropped, but like everyone else's vacancy is dropped. They're saying their vacancy has dropped even more than the average. Is that what they're saying? Or, that is or are they possible. Really I think that? that actually, just in an absolute at an absolute level, their vacancy drops from around you know a little under fifteen percent to a little above five percent. But they do have numbers from twenty seventeen. They just they're just starting now to record apartment demand. Okay, got it. 
So okay, let's look at yeah, um, with with that preamble out yeah, of the way. <laughs> no, I, th- I think I think that's important just in good context for all these reports. And, yeah. So if you look, we're looking at this chart here, and it shows how at the start of their chart in in 2017 vacancies were bouncing around the mid to upper six percent range, and then after the pandemic started, vacancies. Um, vacancies peaked in July 2020 at 7.25%. And then after that, vacancies went all the way down, bottoming out at 4.07% in October of last year. Since last October, vacancies have increased to 4.9% or 4.95%, but the rate of this increase is flattening out. I think that looking at the pre-pandemic trends and how they were kind of bouncing around, it looks like there is this regular seasonal bounce around April and May where vacancies are high and then around November, December, vacancies fall. I wonder if the new average, um, instead of bouncing around the upper 6% range, mm-hmm. will now be kind of bouncing around the lower 5% range. Yeah. Yeah. So a full a full percentage and a half almost of, uh, of differences between pre and post-pandemic. So, and and that makes sense because um, you know there's a lot more turnover in the summer because of peak leasing season. Yeah. And so you have to have units are down for you know, for turnover, and then um, and then but everything's leased up kind of by time everyone gets to school. You know. Yeah, and I I remember you you know in just in discussions with our asset manager talking about you know what is the what is the ideal vacancy rate? What's the ideal occupancy for a specific property? And sometimes if you want to move rents at all, you have to accept that that, that may increase vacancy but you will you will kind of seize that opportunity um, a little bit more easily if you're comfortable with you know losing some to vacancy yeah well you know this is a difference between kind of like newer school and old school management um, practices where like old school it's like hey let's kind of let's just we want it filled up 100 percent occupancy mm-hmm. um, and let's just you know not move rents we'd rather have the thing you know leased up and full and not worry about it but you can actually make a lot more money having rents be higher and at 95%. Well, and it's all, it's kind of it rhymes with this the employment situation. You don't want zero unemployment cuz then there's no there's no movement, there's no mobility. Yeah. You want people you want to have that vacancy to allow people to kind of move in yeah. and out. And well, you don't hear the politicians the saying that much that like we <laughs> want right. unemployment to we want unemployment to go up, but that is actually that's what the stock market is secretly yeah. shooting for and yeah, the yeah, Federal Reserve and certainly the White House would never say that yeah. um, because wow, that that would not be that would not be a good soundbite. And just quick, because we like to check in on Indianapolis, it's our home market. Um, they break this down every, by every market. Um, Indy's doing even a little bit better um, compared to nationally. Um, look, looks like uh, because we saw even a bigger drop. Now we were slightly had higher vacancy compared to the national average prior, but then we dipped way below that. And there is a little tick up here, but it's not nearly as much. Yeah, on, that's on the a average. really good point. Yeah, it dipped lower and it didn't go up as much after that it's really, October yeah, it's low. Really flattened, and and part of that is just again because we haven't had the supply coming online. I mean, in Indianapolis, yeah. we're seeing a ton of job growth and population growth. So I, I that I think that'll make sense. Um, so Matt, Matt, what else would you like to cover on this report? The expense that's, of coastal cities, or or is that um, that's know, really it's it's about- a quick review, and this is a a report that's going to come out now every month from Apartment List. So great. we'll be kind we'll of looking keep, forward we'll, to it. And, we'll track it every month. Be able to track it. Yeah. And um, again, to check out the stuff on a weekly basis. If you sign up to the newsletter, this it's packed full way more reports than we feature on the on the show. Um, you go to graycapitalllc.com slash newsletter, get signed up, or just go to grayreport.com. The stuff is updated every single day, all these reports. Um, I updated it so much the other day that I crashed the site. Oh, yeah. 
Okay, that's what that email <laughs> was about. Okay, that makes sense. I was like, I don't remember ish, um, sending in a ticket. Okay, Yardi Matrix, National Multifamily Report. Yardi Matrix is, you know, they're also a property management software company, mm-hmm. but they got a lot of data because of that. Um, they put these reports out every single month. Multifamily posts, broad gains in May. Matt, what are some of your takeaways? Um, I, I like, I, I love to hear to read things like multifamily rents continue to defy gravity, and that seems to be the uh, the theme. At least this is uh, this is what I talked to you about when I was trying to kind of characterize the reports that that came across today. Is like, I am almost a little bit surprised by how great multifamily is doing. It's not the kind of disbelief, the kind of hyperventilating uh, heat of the market of 2021, but it has had such stable growth and um, and all these signs that that you know people were talking about uh, last month or really even right now they're talking about this inevitable cooling and I think actually that that may even be yes that is also in the Yardi Matrix report there's a quote that says signs of the inevitable cooling may come from the weakening occupancy rates in some high growth metros. Um, uh, that's again something that we have talked about before. The places like Phoenix, Boise, Miami, Orlando, Austin, Tampa, um, these uh, sunny places in that belt across the southern United States, they might be more vulnerable to changes yeah. in apartment demand. You know, it's the ones at the top that, especially, you know, considering that people are a little more mobile maybe now, and now that's arguable, we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, but that's kind of where I think things might be going in the future. Now, when we're talking about rent growth on average, it was at 13.9% year over year. That's a slight deceleration, um, but it is due more to 2021 base effects yeah. than anything else. Now, let me get into this, because this we is- wouldn't want, we, only, we really wouldn't want to see like much more than 2021, because that is yeah. the point that where it's really becoming unsustainable. And, and that's, yeah, I mean, investors probably know it's like, it snowballs mm-hmm. every year. If you're growing 10% every year, you know, it's 10 and then it's 11 and then it's what, 11, 12.2, I don't know. But <laughs> it gets bigger and bigger if you, you know, as you go along. Yeah. Um, now, this is what I mean when I'm talking about base effects. The month over month rent growth actually was higher for May than it was for April, but the year over year rate went down. So that's because we're getting into the heart of the rent increases when we're comparing now from last year. Those increases from last year were so big that we can have increasing month-over-month numbers and still have lower year-over-year numbers. So when you're comparing yourself to the boiling hot 2021 rent growth, yeah, it might not look bad, but it's not bad at all. (laughs) This is a case where, okay, looking at a bigger picture can kind of blind you to some worthwhile insights about where the market is moving today. That's fascinating. Yeah. Um, you know, th- th- this is a great report. That, again, you can find out um, if you have or sign up for the newsletter. You go to greatreport.com because this it covers um, different residential asset classes, short term rentals, single family rentals, um, as well as employment and supply trends forecast rent growth. Oh, I do want to say, and, you know, when we're talking about forecasts, this is what's one of the most interesting things and, and really what raised my eyebrows. Um, how high is rent growth? <laughs> well, at the beginning of the year, Yardi Matrix predicted 4.8% rent growth for the full year. For the year? For the year. Now, for today, we are at 4.7 rent growth. Yeah. And that's well, for we, May. We, we called that. I remember we were talking to Noah Stone. We were like, what are you ba- – like, okay, 
you're just reverting to the mean. Mm-hmm. What else are what else are you basing your forecast on, ba- other than just like statistics uh, yeah. and just not? I don't like using the term lazy, but like <laughs> just I'd rather them say we we don't know. Yeah, and 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 some people just we don't know, but, mm-hmm. but they don't want to forecast another 10 percent which is it's looking like yeah. it might be in the you know eight to ten per, i mean right now that's what it's feeling like now i don't know how rent growth is going to go for the second six months of the year but the first six months you know if they're, if they're anything like the first six months then we may be seeing we've close got to another 10%. month or two of you know in peak leasing yeah season. so that's 4.7 in five months so so then unless unless things seriously cool down unless we're experiencing the no heat death growth, of the universe it just stops <laughs> yeah yeah then then maybe they, they might be accurate but i i don't know i think inevitably yeah things are probably going to cool down but we we will have overshot many people's estimates and that's what that's what i'm seeing right now and that's what makes me so um so optimistic about the future of yeah. the multi-payment market for 2022 at least and just just quickly i want to kind of go through because again take some more time on your own but um we're going to looking at forecast rent growth um and then for year over year job growth um i, I think in, in a lot of different markets is you know pretty interesting you know again indianapolis job growth pretty good we have what four point four point two percent um, you know, kind of right there in the middle, um, middle of the pack, really looking very similar to um, quite a few Sunbelt markets. Um, but what I like to look at is, you know, what the growth is, what the employment growth is compared to the um, completions as percentage of total yeah. stock. Because you can have a ton of job growth, but if you're building way too many units, you still could be oversupplied. I'd rather see moderate um, job growth with less supply coming online. And that's where, you know, some of these markets that have pretty minimal um, new inventory. Um, I mean, Orange County hardly has hardly has anything. Um, Las Vegas, that's a pretty interesting, relatively low number, kind of surprisingly that that is that yeah. low. Um, Portland um, at 2.2. I mean, but look, Indianapolis, 1.3%. Um, Inland Empire, 1.1%. That's a fascinatingly low number based on job growth and rent growth. Now, building in yeah. California, there's a lot of reasons why people don't do it. Um, so a lot of these California markets are relatively low. Sacramento, um, and again, these are the markets that need it, um, which which is which is fascinating. But outside of you know California, I mean, I guess you have Baltimore that's pretty low as well. Um, but you know, Indianapolis again, Indianapolis looks pretty interesting from that that perspective, yeah. Matt. All right, well, so Matt, um, it's not a great time to buy a home. Um, that is not <laughs> a surprise. That's a comment that you made, or really a takeaway from Fannie Mae's National Housing Survey. That's what that, the respondents that, said. That's not that's not a really a surprise that people are saying that with housing prices being so high, interest rates, you know, mortgage, your monthly payments up 30, 40% if yeah. you buy now and borrow now compared to last year. Um, but what else is, I guess, Fannie Mae, um, what, what other ins- insights really popped out? So yeah, only 17% of these survey respondents think that the timing is right right now for buying a home. Um, looking at their numbers, it hasn't really been a good time to buy a home since March of 2021, when 53% said it was a good time to buy a home, and 40% said it was a bad time to buy a home. I guess uh, 7% were on the fence. But l- looking at a longer view of Fannie Mae's Home Purchaser Sentiment a- Index actually makes it even more dramatic. We're kind of entering not exactly uncharted territory, but certainly unusual territory. I'd say uncharted. Pretty good. Pretty good term. Homebuyer sentiment is at 68.2% right now. And the last time it was this low was 10 years ago during a long crawl out of the great financial crisis. Um, Yeah, it was briefly down to 67.5%. So it's 2012? Yeah, 2012. Which would have been a pretty good time to buy. 
real yeah, estate. Yeah, exactly. I, and 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 so this it's a very interesting. You know, we're talking about sentiment. Um, yeah, this so is what I said. It's like, like these it's, are people, and when you're buying a house, you're buying with your heart, and not yeah, really yeah. necessarily with your head. Um, but you'd think that like, but people are at least trying to use their head because the only difference between now and you know mid 2021 when it when it was kind of inverted is interest rates and the yep. and, and the cost and that's what i think really is the prime uh the real prime influence here is interest rates this is defined by interest rates um i think that the other factor maybe is uh, obviously is the pandemic so i'm I'm pulling out an outlier. The, the home sentiment was 67 and a half at the start of the pandemic, but like I'm going to kind of throw that out there. Really, it's all about the interest rates, and you can see yeah. this graph where the, there's a clear, uh, a clear downward trend um, in home sentiment. Now it's in interest rates, but I think that the extended trend is because of home prices increasing so much. Um, an interesting breakdown, and now if we're talking about these factors, um, in the next year, now these are all factors that, that will kind of influence home sentiment, um, home purchasing sentiment. In the next year, more people think their income will be significantly higher than lower for, by 26% to 16%. More people think that mortgage rates will increase rather than decrease from 70% to 4%. More people think that home prices will go up rather than down from 47 to 23%. And then more people expect to keep their job rather than to lose it 81 to 16%. Hmm. Really kind of, if you're extrapolating kind of some kind of like economic or job confidence figures, um, it seems like pr people are pretty happy with their jobs and they expect that they're going to be paid pretty well in the future. Um, if you're all, also, if you're kind of extrapolating, well, will tomorrow be a good time to buy a home? Mm -hmm. uh, it looks like no. Um, so it's, you know, it's, this is a, a statement of current housing sentiment uh, or current home buying sentiment, but it sure does seem like future sentiment is not going to be that great anyways. Um, What's interesting is that like they're basically saying that the like the shift and there's like cross happened between mm -hmm. good time and bad time was April of 21. But isn't that like this time period around the time period that in March of 2021, you know, it, it, it was, you know, had it basically been at its peak or is that what this is saying Matt? or, or am, no, I, am, that, I, am I missing, am I missing? So, am I so that was when data? it was, um, I'm sorry, L let me, let me track here. Um, it was a good time to buy a home. It hasn't been a good time to buy a home since March of 2021. That's when it crossed. And then, mm, and at okay, that moment, yeah, okay. Got it. 53 said it was good and 40% said it's bad. Currently, um, now we're at 68.2%. Uh, and and if you if you can kind of hover over that graph on the on the tail end, we'll see how many people think it's a bad time to buy, and it's it's about seventy nine percent. Yeah, seventy nine percent of people say it's a bad time. But so, but also, it's interesting about this is that like people have it looks like since they've been doing the survey since twenty twelve, have been thinking that it's it is the people have less and less people mm -hmm. over time have thought it was a good time to buy. Yeah. That's the general trend. That's a and really good point. And then it just like completely fell off. Even when people were buying and they thought it was, you know, it was, it was good. It's a good time to buy yeah, less good, less good. I mean, in 2012, it was, you know, 70% and now it's what? 12, 19%, 17%. Yeah. So the pandemic, you know, or the interest rate so, environment or whatever has really accelerated trends that were there, but just kind of more mild. Yeah. And less dramatic. Yeah, that's that, that that's that's fascinating. So, uh, so that was you know kind of an interesting breakdown of the factors and historical context. Um, but with people so low, so bummed out about buying homes, with mm. with this pessimism unseen for nearly a decade outside that outlier, um, it sure seems like home prices could go down. 
Um, the lack of new housing supply and the lack of interest in putting homes up for sale are on one side. That's kind of creating more scarcity, keeping home prices up. But on the other side of this are these multiple factors that are dissuading people from buying a new home. And I think, like I said before, the real factor is the in increase in mortgage rates that kind of snapped people awake. Um, the fact that this increase in mortgage rates has made such a huge difference in home buying confidence could imply that prices were elevated beforehand. And now they're just kind of, oh, they're kind of waking up. Yeah. Um, what will be interesting, and I'm not sure if there's a base effect, uh, a base effect, uh, a base effect effect. I don't know. Um, but going from a five percent Fed funds rate to one percent Fed funds rate, that's a hundred percent increase. Yeah. Going from one to one and a half is a fifty percent increase. My point is, like, is there a We're case to be made? Fifty from yeah, uh, yeah. 50. But like, my my question is, is there a case to be made that each subsequent in interest rate increase will have a smaller effect on demand or is there just going to be a snowball effect mm -hmm. so you know if if we're from is zero it linear or is it what's the curve yeah yeah is it when, gonna when is this the, gonna have diminishing the, returns when does the the demand destruction yeah really start to occur and mm -hmm. it, it's it's appears to have started on the margins but not full-on wholesale where we're actually seeing prices decline because we're not seeing prices decline yeah. yet um, and I also wonder what kind of the, the Blackstones and these large groups, private equity groups that are buying up single family homes, typically in the kind of the starter home range because they're trying to turn them into rentals, mm -hmm. if that will kind of backstop that um, that provides. Oh, yeah. And so there's been a lot of talk of, yeah, there's not, you're really never going to, there's going to be renters for life, or at least for the foreseeable future, because there aren't going to be any homes to buy in that kind of, you know, yeah. one to $400,000. $400,000 range because they're all going to be purchased. Yeah, you can rent there. Mm -hmm. um, but again, again, it begs the question of what are people really looking for when they think yeah. we think about the American dream and like you, you having your own place. Does it mean that you really own it? Do you ever really own it? Government, yeah. you pay property taxes. Um, is it about that freedom? Um, is it about getting that mortgage, that 30 year fixed mortgage? Um, is, is, is that truly the American dream or is it really to have your own place and having space and, <laughs> You can kind of find that financial freedom um, by yeah. you know, taking control of your finances, and that may not be the same thing as buying a home. Yeah, um, you know, you could go invest in an apartment syndication. You could, you know, invest in the stock market. You yeah, know, you can it's make a payment. Is a payment. Yeah, whether yeah. it's to rent or to a loan. Although I don't know, as a child, I always dreamed about paying off the right kind of loan. That was my dream. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's sometimes that you want to pay off. Sometimes it's find a yeah, that's true. Find find a hold on to if you know what you're doing. Yeah, because debt. It's kind of like nuclear weapons or weapons in general. It's like used correctly. You can mm -hmm. get a little, I don't know what. <laughs> I'm like nuclear weapons. Are, okay, maybe when we launch them, okay, deflecting a meteor or right. uh, the whole idea, you know, launch one into a hurricane. Uh -huh. I think that, that Trump wanted. We, thought about if doing, we ever which wanted like to restart the sun, idea. if the sun went out, we'll probably. I think that would work. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We're, yeah. Perfect. We're the experts. Yeah. On science. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> exactly. Okay, Matt. Real page. U.S. apartment market showing no sign of slowing down yet that's basically what you were saying that's what a lot of these reports keep alluding to and i, and I think it's because we keep waiting for it because all, yeah. a lot of these reports like a couple months ago were like we're going to see a slowdown mm -hmm. and then they're well it's checking inevitable. in on it we don't see it <laughs> yet and, and i think a lot of this is obviously correlated to inflation mm -hmm. we're not seeing like a major we're seeing some slowdown but we're not seeing like a major slowdown yeah. rents outpace inflation that makes sense and then you put in the lack of supply 
that's a whole other factor that's accelerating yeah. um, this this difference. So what does um, Jay Parsons from RealPage have to say about this red hot rental market? Yeah, so they talk about trade out leases, new leases, but they oh, also have that. information about renewals. Um, rent growth for renewals is increasing pretty robustly as well. Um, when, but when we are, are talking about new move-in leases, renters are paying 19.5% more for them as opposed to the people that were kind of living there before. For renewals, Class A and B renters are paying 12% more than their old leases on average, and Class C renters are only paying about 7.9% more, which is below the 8.3% inflation rate. Yeah. Um, And renter incomes have also increased by 8% for market rate apartments. And as for demand, Perspective, this is a quote, perspective leasing traffic, an early indicator of demand, appears to be leveling off from the all-time highs set last year. Of course, leveling isn't the same as cooling. To that point, leasing traffic in May 2022 was still higher than any other May on record prior to 2021. So leveling off is not the same as cooling off. I agree with that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I was surprised to see some of these renewals are pretty high. I mean, kind of in the 12% range. Yeah. Um, and I think that makes sense on um, the, the, we're in the C-class assets. We're not seeing as much growth because a lot of those residents, um, you know, they're pretty strapped right now with inflation. They're getting hit absolutely the hardest. Um, yeah. Paying for gas, paying everything's more expensive. Mm-hmm. They have less money to you know pay up for rent increases. It's the most sensitive group. Yeah. But, but what I think is going to be interesting is if like let's say we do see a recession and we see people who were living your B-class apartments. They need a cheaper place oh, to yeah. live. They're going to start going into the C-class apartments. That's they were paying a thousand dollars a month. They're looking for something that's paying you know nine hundred dollars, but the apartment was being leased for eight hundred. So yeah, you, that could so slowly like creep in. Yeah. Oh yeah. man, that's a good point. Yeah. So, but I think that's you know typically we'll see if that that catches up and there's some slack um, mm-hmm. in the C-class. Could could not be. Um, and then and that that's why I talk to investors all the time about the the importance of being diversified. Um, you know, not, not just general diversification, but kind of inside, like I want to invest in multifamily. It's good to um, be diversified across kind of the income spectrum yeah. of because in different types of economies, you see different types of growth in different sectors. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether it's so like, you know, in some economic conditions, um, you know, C-class properties perform, you know, incredibly, incredibly well. And then B and C, B and A-class perform well in other types of um, economies. Right now, we're seeing A-class really outperform the rest. Typically, that's B class. I mean, B class yeah. is doing great, but A class is doing real, well right now because buying a home is so expensive. All those millennials hmm. who were expected to buy a home right now can't afford it, so they want to buy that. They want a nice place to live and, and that a bigger could, unit too. That could impact your strategy for an individual property. You 100%. know, maybe you bought it, you want to take it up to a luxury apartment, or do you still want to keep this kind of more workforce housing? Yeah. You can kind of stretch it. Maybe put a plus. Yeah, where there used to be a minus. <laughs> yeah, so there's. I think that's a really good point, and it's a good question to ask. And it's one we ask ourselves every day when we're in the middle of these uh, multifamily projects and we're going through kind of a capex plan. What yeah. do we do for the renovation? Because on one hand, you have so much organic rent growth going on right now, so you could do nothing, and you're going to get good positive growth. Um, if you spend money um, to renovate the unit, which it, it maybe require a renovation, but like let's say it's not absolutely necessary. Are you getting the same return? Because you're going to have to spend a lot of money with increased labor and increased materials. Yeah, you'll get higher rents, 
but is the ROI on that renovation yeah. really going to justify it? And you mm -hmm. also kind of have to bring that all the way down the road to what your eventual net operating income and kind of gross potential rent will be once that's all completed and when you sell it. Mm. But just looking purely at the return on investment for that renovation of like we're going to spend $10,000 per unit renovating this apartment unit and we're hoping to get um, you know a $200 rent premium versus spending nothing and maybe still getting $100. Yeah. Well, or a thousand dollars, and so you you spend twenty five hundred and you get a hundred, or you can spend ten thousand and you can get two hundred or two fifty. Yeah, it's like that ROI is pretty easy to that that math. You know, you don't need to calculate. Very good that. point. Yeah, yeah. All right. So um, another report, May twenty two, Commercial Market Insights from the National Association of Realtors. Um, pretty inter interesting report, Matt. I know we've got some information on industrial growth as well as some other mm -hmm. sectors. Um, what really kind of popped out to you when you were researching um, this report and really kind of digging into it? Well, first, it looks like um, industrial growth is doing a little bit better than multifamily. Yep. Um, but I... I I don't think that they're doubtful about multifamily growth. If anything, the tone they set is pretty confident about um, about the apartment market. NAR mentions growing occupancy numbers for multifamily and shrinking occupancy for industrial. So there's still some open competition between these two property types um, when it comes to their performance. When it comes to sales volumes, mm -hmm. multifamily is a clear leader with um, $265.2 billion, um, which is more than double the wow. number for second place, which is industrial at one nineteen point six billion. Um, there's less investment in the second quarter of this year as a whole, um, and really, there's some disappointing numbers for REITs. Um, yeah, I I thought that these that those figures were the and that's kind of down on the report mm -hmm. a little bit, but but those figures were were some of the most interesting. That's that bar graph there. Um, on the on the lower, it's it's a little lower down though. Okay, um, now so aside from hotel REITs, which were up nine point one percent, and timber REITs, which were up three point five percent, all other REITs are down for the year. Now, um, if it, just to explain what REITs are, now you can correct me if I'm if I'm wrong here, because <laughs> I'm best. going to dramatically oversimplify. REITs are like stocks you buy for real estate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah. you know, there's a technical definition, but um, but that's how I that's how I classify it in my mind. Yeah, I mean, real estate investment trusts they have to yeah they're um, you can have public um, traded REITs that you can buy in the stock market, and then there's some non traded um, private REITs, but it, it's a filing in the tax code um, that they are they have to distribute ninety percent of their income okay. back to shareholders and mm -hmm. dividends. Um, and the advantage to the REIT is that they typically the corporation isn't taxed, and but the investor okay. has to pay the tax. So um, yeah, the disadvantage, and actually at this family office conference, and I was really glad this was on the report because there was a great presentation on REITs compared to private market real estate. So in a bear market in bonds, which so interest rates are rising, which means the prices of the bonds are decreasing. Mm -hmm. Publicly traded REITs do like absolutely horribly. Like he was basically saying, do not like why no one should be and people were really this matter of fact, but no one should be investing in public REITs because they track so well with the well, there, you have all of the public market volatility, mm -hmm. people trading on a daily basis because the people are essentially using them as fixed income proxies. Okay, I'm trying to or even just for some diversification, but typically trying to get a little bit of yield net dividend, which mm -hmm. the dividends are just okay. Um, but private real estate is much more tied to actual fundamentals and the performance of the properties and the real estate market. When you're buying a REIT, you're really investing in a company that invests in real estate. You're not really yeah. investing in real estate. You're investing in kind of paper real estate that's like somewhat 
And right. but even that, it's like to me, it's not the you know, the correlation is, is is interesting, but for me it's this idea of the public market aspect and how, you know, um geez, it's like it's, all right, look, this is the quote from the report. It, it says, and, and you can see how, like, you can see the report writer kind of scratching their head yeah. <laughs> as they write it. And they, they say, They should have seen this presentation. We'll have to forward it to them. <laughs> um, it says, investors appear to be expecting more personal and business travel as COVID 19 cases have led to fewer deaths, even as infections have surged. Investors shied away even from REITs invested in assets that have strong fundamentals like apartments, single-family homes, infrastructure, and data centers. Rent yeah. growth for multifamily and industrial assets are outpacing inflation, making these assets a good hedge against inflation. So they're like, there's these good things. Investors are shying away from the good things. Despite the, fund the good fundamentals, despite the fact that business travel hasn't taken off, investors in REITs have driven the market in another direction. There's like this idea that, uh, and this is kind of the situation that's one of the big drawbacks to me, at least for publicly traded REITs. You could have a 100% perfect view of the fundamentals of a given property type, but if more people are wrong, they could win. They could be yeah. the one that are making money. Even if events make those fundamentals, make your guess even better than before. Well, but they might not even be wrong though, because but I think that they're looking at it through a different lens. They're yeah. not looking at it through a lens of how are apartments going to do and what is the demand for apartment units. Oh, okay. What, what okay. they're looking at it is this is a fixed income product that is going to produce a certain amount of yield, and as that yield increases, prices decrease. It's related to the discount rate. And again, looking at and again, this is the argument that this presentation made is that. Real estate, real estate, but much more specifically, publicly traded REITs are essentially act historically as a levered long bond. Okay. And again, as if you believe that if we are in a bond, bear market in bonds, which kind of like the average like period of like a, a, bond, a bear market in bonds is like 16 years of rising interest rates. And so if you think we're going to see inflation rise, you're going to see if we think we're going to see continued interest rate um, growth. You're going to see a decline in prices and bonds. And so if REITs are basically act like a levered long bond and the levered long bonds are going to be decreasing in price because the interest rates are going up, then the REITs prices should also decrease yeah. because their yield is going to go up. Their cash flow is going to go up, which as inflation increases, so their price is going to go down because price and yield are, are inverted to each okay. other. Whereas um, in private real estate – that is true in a sense that cap rates may rise as interest rate rise because it's affected the discount rate and the risk-free rate, but they're much more tied to the actual like performance of the property itself and investor sentiment and don't act as closely and are, don't have a direct correlation, not a causation, but a correlation yeah. to bonds themselves yeah because they do outperform my, inflation uh, yeah it's kind of my point about the uh, about the public public foolishness i guess was the ba the balance within those reits shows that maybe even the people aren't making making the bets in the right in the right places but i see I, I, you know, before i heard this presentation i would agree with you 100 mm -hmm. they're just reading the headlines like things are scary so if you want to invest in real estate invest in real estate where you're an owner yeah. of the real estate you have the full advantages of owning real estate if you want to invest in a fixed income product that is sort of tied to real estate in a company that invests in real estate, 
Sure, you know, go with a go with a REIT. I mean, the only real advantage of REITs is liquidity. Mm-hmm. Um, now, yeah, sure, they have to distribute their dividends, but if you're investing in cash flow and real estate, they're going to be distributing um, distributions and proceeds also. Um, so, unless you absolutely need liquidity, which no one needs 100% liquidity, but you, you're going to get a premium on illiquidity and a discount mm-hmm. to liquidity. Um, you need to be looking at actual real estate, private real yeah. estate, yeah. rather than you know these these public. Um, these publicly traded REITs and even non-traded REITs don't do that well, it, it, but it's because they are somewhat tied correlated to you know, public markets. So hmm. if you want to invest in real estate, REITs are not the option, especially in this environment. Okay. Um, and so that's just something for all investors to keep in mind. You're not going to do that well in REITs over the next couple of years. All right. That's good. To even know. if apartments crush it. All right. Oh yeah. Gosh. <laughs> so I'm, but I, so I, I, interesting. I, yeah, I was, I was excited in, in it's hard to wrap your head around the idea that the fundamentals yeah. don't matter. Yeah. Because a different fundamental of you know bond rates and that correlation is stronger mm-hmm. than the actual underlying performance of the asset. Yeah. Yeah. I can I that's harder for me to wrap around than the idea that people have you know, people have gotten the wrong idea. And if more people have the wrong idea, then that can move the market more than, you know, rightness. But I mean, how many people, you know, I think that there is definitely an element to that investor sentiment, and again, the liquidity cre- creates that risk. I mean, we saw a lot of REITs, you know, just completely fall out um, early on in the pandemic, and you had gotten major losses if you were invested in REITs. But if you own private real estate, you wouldn't have seen any kind of losses, and actually, you saw gains during that period. But so there is investor sentiment that can move too quickly, but how much of it is that, and how much of the market is made up with it, of that? Because yeah. I don't know, I don't know if like people are like like you know trading REITs like you know like meme stocks or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, I think a it's point. a lot more yeah. institutional. It's a lot more um, serious investing, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, and so that those type of investors, you know, thinking smartly, selling the REITs, understanding the correlation between long bond, bonds in general and REITs, and as yields go up, prices should decline okay. as well. Yeah. I think there's a it's certainly an element to that. No, that's a good point. You know, you have to look at the reasons why people are investing in their mindset. Um, and, and without that, yeah, you could get lost. Yeah. Oh, it's good fundamentals. This will do well. Exactly. Well, how many times have you, you've seen a product and, you know, the company's traded on the stock market and mm-hmm. you're like, I love the product. I'm going to buy the stock. And then it's like, well, the company, it's a horribly run company. Yep. You know, they don't know yeah. what, whatever the reason is. Just because they've got a good idea, like it's like, well, if they're loaded up on whatever the mm-hmm. issue may be, very good point. Um, you know, the valuation could just be dumb. It's like, yeah, it's a yeah. great company, but it's like still worth five times more than it really should be. Yeah. So, you know, you, you always have that risk, and, and again, that's why there's nothing. Stock market has definitely its purpose. You know, diversified portfolio. Again, liquidity is very useful for a you know, big chunk of your portfolio. Um, that's what, but that's also one of the reasons. But uh, I'm like. Other side, I love private real estate yeah. because you do get a premium on the on the illiquidity, mm-hmm. and it's something you, we can control. I mean, personally, it's like I'm going to go in here. I know that we can make money. I I can force appreciation, kind of regardless of economic conditions. I can hold on, and I know we're going to be successful. I know we're going to make money mm-hmm. you know, with a high degree of certainty yeah. because we're going to take we're going to take all these actions. Or we're going to control this process, yeah. or I'm going to invest with someone that is an expert in controlling that process. Yeah, yeah. Well, anything, uh, I guess, Matt, um, else that didn't make the report that people should check out on the newsletter or greatreport.com? 
Um, yeah, the only other thing that I wanted to mention, and I actually put it in the Sunday one, is I mentioned that before this this article on uh, on the upside down leverage or what? what oh, inverted. Yeah, yeah inverted yeah, leverage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. the, the upside down of the leverage world. Negative leverage. Negative leverage. That's what it is. Yeah. So basically, your your interest rate that you're paying is higher than the cap rate that you're buying. Yeah, so that's that's just a development I think that is interesting. It's something that we speculated on and to see that come in print and to be, you know, to be kind of also other people are thinking about it yeah. is uh, is is a really interesting development and I wonder if this indicates if it's a sign that things are going to start to cool off or or if it's just a sign in certain markets it's just getting I think so crazy. it has to be because people have to have to ask themselves and again going in cap rate it, does, it doesn't mean everything and you could argue in this rate of growth it means less and less and less but you certainly need to be asking yourself some questions if you're using negative leverage yeah. again your cap rate is is lower than your actual or is lower than your interest rate. That's yeah. that's not that's not good. Usually your cap rate should be higher than than your interest yeah. rate. I think you know there's all these talks about inevitable cooling and mm-hmm. and there's these like uh, uh, some nervousness and not not this people are talking about a bubble. Everyone's always going to talk about a bubble every yeah everything bubble every every day. <laughs> but uh, but this doesn't seem like the environment of excessive exuberance that precedes a bubble. If anything, people are kind of hedging their bets. 2021 seemed pretty excessive to me in some cases. Yeah. But again, there's a lot of fundamentals that made it made sense, but when when money was essentially free and you had near 0% interest rates, mm-hmm. I mean that, that's what that's what that's what fuels it and that's been cut off. Now it was yeah. cut off, cut off too um, too late. But I think mean, that's that's the big question and it's just the lack of supply and then the continued investor demand going to buoy that you know, we shall be seen. I personally am excited for this opportunity because um, with rising interest rates, it's cleared out a lot of buyers out Taking of the market. Taking out some of that air that could have yeah. popped the bubble. Yeah, it's true because, you know, what's fortunately, and this is this is healthy, is, you know, lenders, um, you know, ha- have gotten much tighter. And so you can no longer borrow at the higher leverage rates mm-hmm. that you might have been able to borrow a couple months ago. So, you know, even getting 75% loan to value, which was relatively typical, you're not always getting that. There's a if you hmm. want to do a deal, a lot of times it has to be kind of sixty percent, sixty five or seventy. Yeah. And so there's a lot of groups, especially if they're not um, well capitalized. That's a lot more money you have to raise, and so you just can't. A lot of groups just can't raise that money and can't do yeah. that deal. And so there's a lot of a lot of syndicators, especially a lot of newer syndicators who don't have as much access to capital, can't mm-hmm. raise as much capital that are, are being completely taken out right now, or they have to do smaller deals. Um, and it's, but it's the groups that can, can continue to execute with lower leverage um, are still able to um, you know participate in the market. Hmm. Um, and but because of that, there's going to be some declines in price growth and cap yeah. rates that have to move up. We've already reported that when, you know ca- anecdotally cap rates have risen at least 25 basis points in most markets. A lot of prices off the top whisper, not necessarily what anything traded at, but what was being asked. It's down five to ten percent, kind of across the across the board nationwide. So we kind of have seen that self cooling because of interest rates. And yeah. again, I think we're going to see a pretty incredible buying opportunity compared to last year. Yeah. So a lot of a lot of reasons for kind of a stay stable a stable <laughs> stable growth. Um, 
I, I don't. Th- I'm not hyperventilating yet. No, I was hyperventilating a little bit last year, but um, I think there's plenty of reasons to be optimistic. I, I, I agree, especially if you're in the right markets. That yeah. there, there's certain markets that have different risk profiles than others. But I'm glad we're doing what we're doing, man. Yep, for yep. sure. All right, guys, um, make sure you're subscribed to the Great Capital YouTube channel. You're checking out the podcast, um, but leave a comment below though, because we we respond to the comments and we'll feature the comments on the show if it's a good one. Ask us a question. Just give us your opinion. Um, and then if you are interested in uh, making some allocates, some actual real real estate, not paper real estate, but actual real estate, and you are accredited investor, go just type in your browser, gray.fund. You can learn about the Gray Fund. Um, it's Gray Capital's multifamily investment fund targeting stabilized cash flowing real estate in the Midwest growing markets, solid job growth, solid population growth, mostly B and A class assets. Um, we think it's kind of actually in the sweet spot right now, right. mostly suburban properties. Um, we've got first two assets in the fund. One's in Indianapolis. The second one is going to be up near Lansing, Michigan. Again, all great markets, both suburban locations, solid job growth, all, all the metrics you'd want to see. Go check it out, gray.fund, and then subscribe and do all this fun commenting and stuff. Matt and I will catch you next week on the next episode of The Gray Report. Stay smart, make some good investment decisions, and have a good weekend.